So the moment has come then. Uh, my very special guest on the show today is First Minister for Wales, Mark Drakeford. First of all, good afternoon, uh, First Minister. Afternoon, Gareth. How are you today? you okay? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Okay. Good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for joining us on GTFM. So let's start at the beginning then. You were born in Carmarthen, and I would imagine a very nice place to spend your childhood. Uh, yes, it was, absolutely. It's a long time ago, and the world was very different. And in some ways, you know, I, I think probably an easier place for children than it is today. Uh, you know, at a very young age, we were just able to go by ourselves down to the park to play or... My grandparents, one, one said that my grandparents were parents and you just go, you know, you just, at the age of six or seven, you get up in the morning, you go down the fields. There was a railway line down one edge of the farm. There was a river that ran at the other end of it. And nobody ever said, you know, do you, are you sure it's safe to let him go? We were, we were very lucky. A different time, wasn't it? Uh, were your parents politically minded? Did they have strong opinions about the way the country was being run back then? I, I wouldn't have said so, really, when I was first growing up. My mother's family, were the, the farming family, were absolutely standard textbook, well-speaking, chapel-going, liberal voting. You know, the sort of great uh, Welsh rural tradition uh, my father was a teacher, and I would have said when I was growing up, he didn't have uh, a huge interest in politics, although he took me to things. When I look back, you know, when I was growing up, if somebody came to speak in Carmarthen, so I remember, I'm this old, I remember Sir Alec Douglas Hume, uh, after he'd stopped being Prime Minister, he came and did a big public meeting. And I would have been less than 10 years old, but my father took me to hear him not because he was interested in party politics, but he thought it would be you know, a good experience for me. He became radicalised later in life by Mrs Thatcher. So uh, whereas, you know, it's often said, as you get older, you get more small C conservative. Uh, my father did the opposite. He, he disliked Mrs Thatcher with a passion uh, and for everything that she did here in Wales. And the older he got, the more radical he became. Um, do you remember a feeling of shock in the town in Carmarthen when Gwynvor Evans won the Carmarthen parliamentary seat in 1966? Uh, that was a real shock, wasn't it? I, I do remember it. I remember coming downstairs in the morning. I was 11 years old and hearing the result uh, on the radio. And it was a shock because you know, he was the first ever Plaid Cymru uh, MP. And Megan Lloyd George, who'd been a very popular Labour MP, for the Carmarthen seat, had been elected with a very big majority only a few months earlier in the general election. There was no doubt she was very ill by then, and in modern circumstances, she probably wouldn't have stood at all. But it's a by-election, and things are different in by-elections. And yes, I remember the, the sense of surprise uh, and excitement as well. I would say not just a surprise, you know, there's a lot of excitement about it as well. Now, you did well academically at the Queen Elizabeth Grammar School, is that right, First Minister? Yeah, back then uh, there was a boys' school and a girls' school, uh, and uh, you know, the, the 11 plus was still part of people's uh, lives. I'm so pleased it's not any longer. Uh, and yes, I, I was lucky. I was, um, con in conventional terms, I was, I was bright and uh, did okay. 
What about sport then? Were you, were you much of a sports fan? Did you play rugby and football, that sort of thing? Uh, in in Camarden Boys Grammar School, you only played rugby. Uh, football was not allowed. Uh, and I, I played because everybody played, but not because I was any good or anything. I was interested from the very beginning in cricket. Uh, my grandfather and my father were big cricket uh, fans. Uh, they took me to see the last time Glamorgan ever played a three-day game in Trinetti. Uh, you know, probably, probably about 1964 or something like that. Uh, and we used to go very regularly from Camarden to St. Helens uh, at a weekend. Those days, the Sunday league would be played. Uh, and myself, my dad and some friends of ours, we'd go uh, en masse. And you know, that was our weekend, really, in the summer. Uh, what about music? Were you a fan of the Beatles or the Rolling Stones or Elvis? Uh, well, um, my brother and I both had beetle wigs. Uh, so I, I'll tell you uh, one of the uh, funnier stories of recent times. So this is a teacher telling me the story of being with his uh, primary school class uh, and saying to them, you know, do you know who the first minister is? And this boy uh, put his hand up and uh, he said, yes. And he, and he said, well, do you know his name? He said, yes, it's Mark Drakeford. Uh, do you know anything about him? He said, he's the one who looks like Paul McCartney. <laughs> now then, Gareth. <laughs> I should have found my old Beetlewick that my brother and I both had uh, when we were growing up. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> uh, I mean, you studied Latin at the University of Kent, if I'm right, and you graduated at the University of Exeter. Um, did you join any political groups back then? Yeah, I was already a member of the Labour Party before I went to university. Uh, and, you know, to join the Labour Party when you were 17 or 18, it was a left-wing thing to do. But when you arrived in the University of Kent and said you were a member of the Labour Party, this was to cast you into the outer darkness of the far right of student politics. Because, you know, I used to sit in the Students' Union occasionally and hear long speeches from members of the International Marxist Group on were the working class of Canterbury about to rise? And I used to say to them, well, we, we could pop down and ask them because there's no more than there's no more than half a dozen of them living there. So, so you know, the, the sort of politics that I was interested in, which was practical politics and the sort of politics that makes a difference, was very, very different to student politics, which I had very little interest in at all. And, and were you an outspoken member of the Students' Union? They're always quite common, aren't they? Well, as I said, I used to go there occasionally, but I used to find the debate so removed from the things that I thought mattered to people in their daily lives that I didn't feel it was worth a great deal of my time. I, I did spend quite a bit of my first year there, uh, sat in uh, in the registry, uh, as people did in those days. Uh, uh, you asked me about music. When I was in school in Camarham, uh, music was the biggest thing that I did. Music was a very big part of the life of the school. And you were very lucky, you know, for nothing. You were taught to play, as I was taught to play the clarinets and to be in the orchestra and the county orchestra and things. And I, I, I joined a small trio. There were two or three of us, two, two Americans. One played the clarinet, one played the bassoon, and there was me. And we played Mozart trios uh, in the dark, in the registry, during a, during a sit-in while people look through their files to see what was being said of them by the authorities. Do you, do you still play today? Uh, well, I, I, very, very occasionally. 
sort of the, the, the sadder things. I did a, when I was growing up, I did a load of music. And in university, I played a huge amount of music as well and sang and things as well. When I came to Cardiff and, you know, was working and ended up being a counsellor and stuff like that, music is the big thing that suffered from that, really, because it was just never possible to find the time reliably to go on, you know, every Tuesday night to to a choir rehearsal or to an orchestra rehearsal. And uh, so every now and then I take it out of the case just to remember it. Yeah, just to top up. Uh, now, you've trained um, to become a teacher and social worker. Now, you mentioned Cardiff. You moved to Cardiff in the late 1970s and began working as a probation officer, I believe, and a youth justice worker. And you were also project leader at Bernardo's, a, a real mix of interesting work, I have to say. Well, I was very lucky. Um, I came to Cardiff. I didn't know Cardiff at all, uh, really. I knew Swansea much better coming from the West. Uh, and, you know, you were just allocated to a team in the probation office. And I was allocated to the team that worked on the West of the city. So mostly in the sort of Ely Estate uh, area. And in a way that wasn't very usual, I really liked working with young people. So uh, adolescents were not the favourite group of young people no, no, no. <laughs> but I, I I really liked working with adolescents I I, I really liked their sort of cussedness really uh, uh, the way that they approach life and I started work with young people in Ely and loved it from the beginning and you know still do it really in a different way uh, 40 years later so throughout the 1990s, you lectured at both Swansea and Cardiff universities before being promoted, if you like, to a senior lecturer in 1999. And then you were appointed as a professor in 2003. A very impressive CV, First Minister, I've got to say. Well, I, I loved teaching, Gareth. That was, uh, you know, I, I think to do the job I do now and to be a, a teacher as well, you've got to have a little bit of a show off in you somewhere. Because you're performing, aren't you? You know, you're standing up there, you're trying to... Just like broadcasters, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, indeed. You know, they've got to have a little bit of that in you somewhere, haven't you? Because you're trying to keep people's attention. If you're giving a lecture, you've got 50 minutes to fill. That's a long time. And you, you've got to somehow try and keep it interesting and keep people involved. And I, I really, really liked being with students. Uh, and I enjoyed writing a bit as well. When I thought I had something to say... And you know, if you work in the university, you get those chances as well. I generally did a day a week uh, as a youth justice worker at the same time. So if I was trying to teach people how to do the job, I wasn't relying on, you know, long faded memories. I could say, well, you know, on Friday when I was out seeing somebody or writing a report or being in court, this is how it worked out. And I used to think that gave you a different, different level of credibility, really, with the people you were you were teaching. Now, you first became a counsellor in Cardiff in the mid-1980s. Looking back now, those years in local government, because that would have been South Glamorgan County Council, I believe? Yes. Um, um, A central experience ready for Welsh government years later? A good grounding? I think so. Uh, I think being a counsellor is a fantastic job. Uh, In in that era, uh, in South Glamorgan, you were sing, what they call single-member wards. It was just you and a relatively small uh, area that you represented, about 3,000 3, people. And I lived in the ward, as I still do, that I represented. And after 10 years, I really did feel like I knew the place inside out. 
and you know anything that was going on you 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 understood and you knew about it and you could uh help people wherever you could and you know the county council was responsible for big services like education and social services as well as things like libraries and culture and so on and uh no i, I it was a fantastic grounding really and uh no no you I really were... i really appreciated it a lot yeah now you were part of the successful yes for wales campaign uh, in the 1997 Welsh devolution referendum. Uh, did you work closely with Ron Davis, of course, was the Secretary of State for Wales under the Blair government? Uh, I didn't know Ron, uh, really, at all. Um, I worked very closely with Rodri, Rodri Morgan, who was by then the Member of Parliament for Cardiff West, where, where I lived, and who was Ron's number two uh, in the years that Labour was in opposition while we were planning for devolution and you know making the doing all the sort of speed work to make sure that if there was a Labour government, we could get on with it. Uh, so I worked very closely with him. I used to, ch- I used to chair the South Glamorgan uh, Yes for Wales campaign. And you know, it's a remarkable story, really. We were The whole idea was so heavily defeated in 1979. And less than 20 years later, very narrowly, as you remember, and, you know, with all sorts of, uh, sort of d- d- difficult excitement on the night, uh, we just got over that line, and it was a gr- it was a great moment, I think, in modern Welsh history. In two thousand and eleven, following Rodri Morgan's retirement, you replaced him as Assembly Member for Cardiff West. Um, big boots to fill. <laughs> yeah, and uh, not an easy decision, really, uh, for me. Um, I'd I'd been part of Rodri's office for the first ten years. From, from as soon as he became first minister, I gave up working in the university. I worked there one day a week on a Friday and four days a week working in Rodri's office. And that was a huge privilege and enormous insight into the way the government works and watching somebody doing it who was, you know, just sort of you know, a master uh, at it as well. And then Rodri decided to retire. And, you know, there was a question, should I have a goal? Should I try and see whether I could become the assembly member as it was then? And uh, you know, I was ambivalent about it. I had a job I enjoyed in the university. Uh, I really, really enjoyed being part of Rodri's team. Did I want to do it? In the end, I, Gareth, what I thought to myself was I didn't want to look back in a couple of years later and think to myself, what if? What if you'd had a go? What if you tried? But I thought, give it a go and see what happens. And then at least you won't look back and regret that you didn't try of course, your big moment came then in 2018 after Calvin Jones stepped down as First Minister and the position of Welsh Labour Party leader became vacant. Um, did you need much persuasion to stand? Well, look, I think, uh, you know, if you don't need persuasion, you probably shouldn't do the job. Uh, you know, I think people who just want it, want it, uh, are probably not the right people for it because it's an all-consuming job and it affects not just you, but your family uh, and people as well. Um, you know, I I don't think I had expected that Cadwyn would, I'd expect Cadwyn to have gone a bit longer. And by the time he had retired, I wouldn't have expected myself to have been a candidate. But in all the circumstances, you know, we were facing uh, the aftermath of Brexit, particularly at the time. And I'd been the minister responsible for that. And I felt that, you know, I, felt, I, I can never find the right words. It's sounds pompous if you say it the wrong way. But I felt a bit that I had a responsibility to at least offer people in the Labour Party that I would do that job if they wanted me to do it. 
Now, a year into your term as First Minister, of course, the coronavirus pandemic struck. Uh, What was the general feeling in the Cabinet in February and March 2020? Did ministers panic just a little bit? Oh, I I think that the very first time we heard it, there was a sense uh, quite of shock. So we first heard about it in February, uh, sorry, in January, the end of January. uh, In an ordinary Cabinet uh, meeting, the Chief Medical Officer came and said, I think I need to alert you to the fact uh, that there is this emerging disease that we are seeing in Europe. Uh, and it appears to be having you know, a very serious effect on people who fall ill from it. And it's very contagious. Um, and we decided there and then that we would reassemble later that day uh, to have a meeting with the chief medical officer that would just give us all the information that he had, because it just sounded like something we'd knew nothing about and needed to know a lot about very quickly. So from the very beginning, I think there was a real sense of the significance of what was coming our way. Now, before you go, First Minister, there is a review, of course, on Friday. I suspect Cabinet Minister's meetings are actually pencilled in for the next few days. Uh, based on what you know today, can our listeners feel optimistic there'll be good news on Friday? Yeah, I think people should feel that. We, you know, we've dealt with that enormous wave that was Omicron, which crashed over Wales at the end of December, but did behave in the way that the modelers, Swansea University do the work for us on the model. They always said we would get a very steep rise and a very steep fall. And once the numbers started to fall, they have indeed continued to fall and they've fallen again this week. And the number of people in hospital, new people in hospital, has been falling as well. So, you know, that does give us a bit of optimism that as we go into the better part of the year, and, you know, people know uh, coronavirus is a seasonal illness. You know, it doesn't like the summer. It thrives in the dark and the cold and the wet of winter. As we move into the better part of the year, I think people can have a sense of optimism that... uh, Unless something unexpected happens and we can't rule that out, that we are on a pretty positive path now in Wales. Good. Now, you've indicated that you won't stand again as First Minister in the next Senate elections. Any plans for retiring? And what might you do? Write an autobiography? Maybe Uh, (laughs) after dinner speaker? Yeah. Well, look, uh, I'll be 70 before the end of the Senate term, which I find very hard to believe, but I'm sure others find it easier to... To believe it, so I, you know, there are grandchildren, and I definitely uh, want to be able to spend more time uh, enjoying all of that. I've got my allotment, which somebody said to me, "How will you sum up your allotment?" The other day, and I said, "Well, in a single word, neglected," uh, because I don't get there as often as I'd like to. So I'm looking forward to having time to do that sort of thing. Um, I would like to probably go back and do some work in the university again, just you know, being with young people and uh, being able to share some of the experiences of the last 20 years uh, for them as they become the, the future of us here in Wales. Now, there's a thought for you. After dinner speaker, sharing the stage with Boris Johnson. Oh, I, 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 I don't see that <laughs> being a lot of laughs uh, myself. Uh, I, I've done after dinner speaking. I've not enjoyed it hugely because everybody else spends the evening enjoying themselves and eating and drinking and having a good time. And if you're the person who's got to come on at the end, there's always a bit of you that sits there thinking, oh dear, you know, 
it's getting closer. I have to be on my feet before long. And so, uh, no, I, I probably don't intend to do a, a huge amount of that. And certainly not with Mr Johnson. First Minister Mark Drakeford, thank you very much for sharing your time with us on GTFM today. It's been much appreciated. Deal. Just a while. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.